Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but... There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. Now, before I dive into all that we learned from the first two games of the Western Conference Finals between the Suns and Clippers, I want to take a moment just to say how much I've enjoyed the series so far and how much I'm looking forward to the Bucks hawks series for similar reasons. I hope you're doing the same. It's probably not often enough that we stop and acknowledge when the entertainment, the level of entertainment, the level of play, the intrigue really exceeds expectations. And I would say that's been the case so far in these playoffs. They've been good. They've been fun. They've been entertaining for a season that was put together with a short runway and wasn't always that, uh, let's say, well-played. It was certainly compelling at the end because of the play-in structure, but the quality of play often left something to be desired. That hasn't been the case in this postseason. Also, a shout-out to all the coaches who have not made haranguing the referees a regular part of their act, which in turn has inspired very few players to question every call. I'm talking about the players remaining. I mean, excuse me, the coaches remaining. Doc Rivers being out changes that equation pretty significantly. Chris Paul, of course, is in protocol, and Devin Booker has done his share of chirping, but that's about it. Pat Bev, too. Three of the four remaining coaches also have been both creative and daring in their matchup and rotation choices. 
Mike Budenholzer, the Milwaukee Bucks being the one exception. And he's going to have to join the party against the Hawks, or Atlanta is capable of pulling an upset. I know that the odds makers have the Bucks as a pretty significant favorite to win the series. I'm, I think there's an opening there for Atlanta. Bryn Forbes, Milwaukee, who saw his minutes steadily decrease through the series with the Nets until he only played five minutes in Game 7, and Bobby Portis, who did not play a minute in Games 5, 6, or 7, are going to have to play a role against the Hawks. There is no way the Bucks' five starters, with Pat Connaughton as sixth man, is going to get it done against the Hawks. Nor should they be called upon to try. Injuries have forced Nate McMillan to go deeper into his Atlanta bench, too, with DeAndre Hunter out, Bogdan Bogdanovich clearly slowed by a knee injury, and Danilo Gallinari moving at times as if he's 42 rather than 32. Let's put it this way. Bryn Forbes needs to be given a chance to match up with Lou Williams, and then he needs to go out and win that matchup. I don't know if the Hawks and Bucks can give us as much drama as we got in Game 2 between the Suns and Clippers, all leading up to a 104-103 win by the Suns on an alley-oop dunk by DeAndre Ayton off an inbounds pass from Jay Crowder with .7 seconds left. Now, I've seen that play run at various times. I've never seen it run from that deep in the corner, which... I believe is a huge advantage for running it because the guy coming to dunk it is coming straight to the ball and the angle is difficult to defend because the ball is coming over the rim so you can't get in front of it a lot of times when the ball is lobbed in on a play like that from the hash mark it has to it's it's coming to the front of the rim and the offensive player has to kind of meet it there, but the defensive player doesn't have anything in his way to be able to go up and, and disrupt it. The play that the Suns had, similar play with Tyson Chandler, wasn't an angle from the corner, but it was a similar thing where the ball comes over the rim, Tyson Chandler comes down the baseline, and he flushes it. So the circumstances were perfect. Now, true confession, I was watching the game on a slight delay because that's what I like to do so I can fast forward through the commercials and I wasn't quite done watching when I knew I had an upcoming hit on Fox radio so with about three minutes left in game time to be watched I checked the final score and saw the Suns had won but as I watched the final seconds I had to go back and check the score at least three times thinking I had either misread it or the Fox Sports app had posted the score incorrectly. Because going through the final plays, every one of them was tilted in favor of the Clippers getting it done. Up by one with Paul George, an 89% free throw shooter in these playoffs and a career 85% shooter overall, going to the line to shoot two free throws with 8.2 seconds left. I could not imagine the Clippers losing. Even after PG missed both free throws, which 
I would bet he hadn't done all year. I had to check the score once more when Mikel Bridges' desperation three missed and the ball went out of bounds with .8 seconds left. The Suns inbounding it from so deep in the left corner, Jay Crowder was standing behind the backboard. Now, of course, the Suns lead the series 2-0. And all indications are that Chris Paul will be back for Game 3, while the Clippers missing star Kawhi Leonard will not. I imagine most prognosticators see that as reason to think the Suns should be even more formidable in Game 3. But I don't see it that way. What I've seen in the first two games is that 26-year-old Cameron Payne, Chris Paul's replacement in the starting lineup while he's been quarantined due to the league's COVID-19 protocol, has been a matchup nightmare, with Rajon Rondo simply not quick enough to stay in front of him. Payne also has the element of surprise on his side, finding his way back into the league just last year and having been a backup not known for being able to shoot the three or score, period, with any sort of consistency or efficiency. He was a poor man's Lou Williams. But he has been a lot more than that for the Suns the last two years, especially in these playoffs. He stepped in for CP3 in Game 2 and delivered a game-leading 29 points on 50% shooting to go with 9 assists without a single turnover. Now, don't expect that same production when Chris Paul returns because the Clippers have too much size to play them together. And don't necessarily expect CP3 to have the same kind of impact that Payne has had. I know that sounds a little crazy. I'm not suggesting that Payne is a better point guard than CP3. But as you probably heard me say, and me and others, like this is what makes the playoffs so unique, is that matchups come to the forefront. How certain players match up with certain players on other teams, strengths and weaknesses, and what a team can go to. Payne has been a wild card that has worked in favor of the Suns in a big way, and yet they just eked out these first two wins. They needed everything that Payne has been able to give them. He didn't score quite as big in Game 1, but still was very efficient, scoring, double digits, I believe had at least eight assists, maybe one turnover. He was, he was everything that Chris Paul statistically has, has been or could be. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, pain in these games has either been knocking down threes or finishing at the rim. And the Clippers have had no one who could guard him at either end. That won't be the case with 36-year-old Chris Paul, especially since Rajon Rondo knows CP3 in his game oh so well. Rondo has not been able to stay in front of campaign whatsoever. Now, the time and the protocol and protocol has surely allowed Chris Paul's troublesome shoulder stinger to be resolved, the one that he suffered against the Lakers. So he should be more willing to take open threes now than he was against the Lakers or at times even against the Nuggets. But he still poses a completely different threat. He's a mid-range threat. He's not a in-transition threat. He's not an up-tempo threat. And that's one that should be more manageable for the Clippers with the guard personnel they have available. I guess I'm saying... Rajan Rondo may have a better time and be able to spit, be on the floor more and have more success going against Chris Paul than he has against Cameron Payne. But what happens in Game 3 really isn't about X's and O's and matchups because of how Game 3 ended. The Clippers have to understand that there are two byproducts from that loss. The Suns are going to be feeling invincible and likely to come out like a house on fire, even though, on, even though they're on the road, even though they're up 2-0 in the series. Which means the Clippers are going to have to be prepared to play their best, most energetic game of the series so far. The other byproduct is the Suns will not quit believing they can win until the final horn sounds. It's... It's much like the monster the 76ers created with the Hawks after Atlanta came back and won Game 5 despite being down at one point in the third quarter by 26 points. Now, the Suns' deficit wasn't anywhere as big, of course, but by basketball standards, down one with eight seconds left and the other team's 89% free throw shooter going to the line Winning in regulation is almost as remarkable and unlikely. And I don't expect to see huge scoring swings with these two teams. They're very evenly matched in a lot of ways. They both are very good defensively. So I don't see anybody running away with it. And so if it's a possession-by-possession game or clips are up by five with 15 seconds left... Suns are not going to be daunted. The Clippers are going to have to execute to the final second and in a way that they did not in Game 2 or in Game 1. The riddle Ty Lue has to figure out is what to do against DeAndre Ayton. 
the potential solution didn't hit me until Nicholas Batum, who came off the bench in Game 2, hit his only attempt, shot attempt of the night, a three-pointer. And it's probably worth reminding everyone at this point that the Clippers aren't just missing Kawhi Leonard. They're also without Serge Ibaka, who is now out after undergoing back surgery. I believe he played in the first two games against Dallas, simply could not move. I've heard other rumors about the fact that Serge wasn't all that motivated after being taken out of the starting lineup and a little bit of bad blood there. Complete different approach or mindset than we've gotten from everybody else on the Clippers team. So maybe it's addition by subtraction because everybody else has been willing to be in the rotation, out of the rotation, in the starting lineup, out of the starting lineup. It has been a team effort. Uh, It has been chemistry. It has been all for one and one for all and sacrifices being made all the way around. And that's, quite honestly, that's, that's necessary to win a championship. It is a, still a very positive sign that the Clippers can overcome their current deficit in the same way they have the previous two. But this is where they really miss Surge. Because he could move his feet well enough and was long enough and defensively savvy enough to make life more difficult on Aiton than either Batum or Zubac or even Paul George can. And meanwhile, Serge could have pulled Aiton away from the rim as a three-point threat on offense and given the Clippers a chance to trade his threes for Aiton's twos. I would imagine even capable of getting taking Aiton off the dribble and going by him and finishing on occasion. Just to keep him honest, if he was trying to come out too far and defend Serge's three. I just don't see the Clips winning the matchup with Aiton using Zubac, though. As much as I admire the young man's effort and improvement over his five years in the league, I just think it's going to take knocking down threes, playing small, much of what they did with Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. Now, Aiton is a far more accomplished offensive player. He's far more of a problem. But I believe that the solution may ultimately be the same. I also hope Lou sticks with using Terrence Mann coming off the bench. This is always the tricky challenge for coaches. When guys have big games coming off the bench, as Terrence did in Game 7 with 39... Uh, to close out the Jazz. It's tempting to start them with the idea that they'll get going early and be able to do even more. It doesn't always work that way. And Game 1 was a perfect example. Man started, played 27 minutes, contributed 9 points and 4 rebounds. It was quite a difference from his start in Game 7 against the Jazz, which was only the second time he'd started a playoff game in 23 postseason appearances. And if you recall, in Game 7, he didn't deliver until the second half. And they needed him to recover, or they needed him to deliver, because they were recovering from a huge second-quarter hole created, I believe in part, because Mann was not in his usual substitute role 
playing heavy second quarter minutes, thereby opening the opportunity for the Jazz to outscore them 39-19 in the quarter and take a 72-50 lead in the halftime. So man didn't really give it to you in the first quarter the way you would hope that a starter would. And then he wasn't there to give it to you or give it for, to you in the second quarter because he wasn't coming off the bench. Sometimes a guy coming off the bench can exploit his matchup with the opponent's subs in a way he can't quite pull off against starter-level talent. That's why whenever I hear fans talk about a sub who's scoring big or lighting it up and they're immediately like, he should be starting, he should be starting over the other guy. That's not always the case. Sometimes you are creating two minuses by taking that sub and putting him in the starting lineup. I believe Terrence Mann is an example of what I'm talking about, potentially. That's why whatever happens, I hope he stays, Lou that is, stays with Mann coming off the bench. I think that's when he's at his most lethal. Now, I don't like that the Clippers have put themselves in yet another 2-0 hole. I do believe that Devin Booker is the most dangerous or trustworthy scorer in this series. And having to rely so heavily on the decision-making of Reggie Jackson and Paul George should make Clippers fans nervous. The end-of-game situations where you would put the ball in Kawhi Leonard's hands at least half of the time, they miss that, for sure. Because I do believe that Kawhi can become a little too robotic and the offense can bog down but I generally trust the ball in his hands. I trust that they're going to get a decent shot. I don't know that we're going to see Kawhi Leonard for the remainder of these playoffs, but I still believe the Clippers have a reasonable chance of winning this series, even if Chris Paul returns and Kawhi Leonard doesn't. Game three, of course, will tell us if I have a chance of being right. Okay, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment, a rating. It would be much appreciated. In the next podcast, we will finally get a look at Bucks Hawks. And I'm sure that will be the subject du jour. In the meantime, as always... Thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.